Hey everybody, and welcome to Retromania, a retrospective pro wrestling podcast. I'm your host, artist and entertainer from Baltimore, Maryland, Kobe Nida, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host. Hello everybody, I'm Jimmy Price. I am the commentator for just District City Wrestling, uh, as well as uh, hanging out around the uh, Baltimore comedy scene here and there. All right, and we met through District City Wrestling. Yes, we did. Yeah. I wrestled there, you commentate. Yep. Uh, more announcing as well, or yeah, commentating, announcing a little, little bit of both. It's always uh, it's it's always interesting to see who I'm in there with. I think last time uh, I had just almost just about everybody join me on commentary, so that was that was cool. It's a nice little thing. Yeah, you're you're, you're basically the play by play. Yeah, right? yeah, and just a, a rotating cast of uh, color commentators, which uh, makes for some interesting combinations. There you go. And yeah. you made everybody look good. You made me oh, look good as well. Yeah, thank so. you, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and basically, we do wrestling shows DIY around the DC, Delaware, Maryland area. We're 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 trying to get there. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, basically, this is our show Retromania, and I figured I wanted to add to the cluster of other wrestling podcasts that are out there. Yeah, there's not enough. No, no. You need more. Not nearly enough. Um, I'd like to look back at old wrestling. I'm a nostalgic type of person. I don't know if you are. I am as well, yeah. Okay. Well, we want to look back at old wrestling, and I know there's some podcasts that do it out there, but uh, we kind of grew up with it in a way. These guys are a little bit older sometimes or uh, don't even know what the hell they're talking about. Um, yeah, yeah, they sort of gloss over uh, certain areas and I think the uh, the era that we're going to be uh, focusing on, especially uh, in this first season, is uh, definitely uh, a sweet spot for, for the both of us and our fandom. Right, so the theme of the show is we're going to go back and cover uh, the most famous or infamous wrestling events, storylines, feuds, matches, and memories. And we're going to start it off with our first season, The Origin of Attitude. And what's The Origin of Attitude, basically? The Origin of Attitude is uh, a very special time in the uh, mid to late 90s where uh, WWE, WWF at the time were uh, getting their asses handed to them in the ratings by WCW. Uh, so they decided to throw everything that they were doing in terms of storyline and character focus to go for more of a uh, family-friendly, cartoonish vibe to uh, more of a vibe captured by, say, ECW. Exactly. Um, sometimes copied directly. <laughs> from ECW. And uh, ECW was Harder Edge. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, sort of, you know, not, uh, you know, that DIY spirit, much like uh, DCW uh, tries to carry on. Um, Very much more violent, um, you know. Well, it was Extreme Championship Wrestling. Extreme. Exactly. So they were more extreme, and WWF was replicating a lot of things. They were actually, I believe, secretly funding them oh yeah yeah yeah, that's that's a commonly held belief i think and uh it's one that that as much as paul Heyman will deny it it's there it's true right they were grabbing from the talent pool taking from the uh booking uh just the great ideas vince mcmahon is pretty uh pretty well known to do that oh yeah yeah he he will uh he's 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 doing it today he did it then he did it you know as we'll discuss in the 80s he's uh Oh, not afraid to uh, reach out there and uh, grab talent. Right. So this this episode basically is our prologue. We're going to go 
take you through a timeline of everything and how it starts, how the origin of attitude even got its seed sprouted. So we're going to go through everything in this. But before we do, when did you get into wrestling, Jimmy? So I've been into wrestling as long as I can remember being alive. Um, I think you at one point you'd asked me what my earliest wrestling memory was, and then I kind of remembered that my earliest life memory in life even is uh, just sitting in my grandparents' living room and uh, watching uh, old WWF. Uh, right around like 93, 94, I've, I, can, I can definitely remember watching WrestleMania 10 live as it aired. Um, and so, you know, right as WWF was building into this era, you have, you know, Bret Hart, uh, establishing himself as a top guy, as the champion, and uh, Shawn Michaels coming up. So the, these, you know, what we're focusing on, especially in this episode, are uh, some of my earliest memories. But since then, dropped out in middle school because I thought I was too cool for it. Realized quickly that I'm not too cool for it, so I got <laughs> back into it around high school. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, varying degrees, but I've uh, I've been following and watching what, pretty, what pretty much my entire life. What brought you back into it? Do you remember remember that at all? I do, I do. Actually, I was uh, you know, and getting into into ninth grade going to a lot more local punk rock shows and uh, I met a friend of mine by the name of uh, Dan Nelson and uh, we got on the topic of old school WWF and he was sort of getting back into it he introduced me to some of the indies and so I started watching those and um, started following WWE again as well and I've just been uh, been a steady fan pretty awesome. m- except for those awkward middle school years my entire life yeah man. not too sweet there. yeah <laughs> Um, for myself, yeah. basically, uh, I, I, I'm the same. I, I don't remember the time where there wasn't wrestling around my life. There's a videotape uh, for my second or third birthday party, and I got the Hasbro figures. Nice. The old ones, you know, the, they stayed solid in position. And yeah. Everything. Yeah. So you had, like, three finishers or a couple moves with your guy. Yeah, yeah, I definitely had a few of those. Yeah, I had a lot. Yeah. Um, I still have some, but... Anyways, I remember that. Uh, my first vivid memory is basically Earthquake smashing Hulk and squishing him. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That was like 91, I think. I think, yeah, I think you're right. up for there. So mm-hmm. that was a Saturday night main event. And my, I know my dad would put that on a lot. So um, I vividly remember that. Um, and I remember having stuff of, of like warrior apparel. So I might have like been into that, but not sure. But I really remember coming back to it when on wrestling, I didn't know what what time it came on. Basically, it mm-hmm. was like I I don't know if you were the same. It was like you just kind of search around, and we didn't have TV guides back then. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, there was a TV guide channel, so I would search on there maybe. And I found Saturday Morning Superstars, and it was in the midst of the feud of Bret Hart and Hakushi. And that was for the first In Your House. Yes. So, yeah, that was pretty big. And I I loved Bret Hart from before, and I remembered him. And I was like, holy crap, this guy became the champion. I missed it all, you know, (laughs) like, or not, you know, really paid attention. Yeah. And um, started going from there, and I was hooked. And then my grandmother got the WrestleMania 12. Oh, yeah. And she knew I loved it so much, and that was in California. So... We were able to see it during the day, and that was a huge match for me. I wanted Bret Hart to win so bad, and uh, this is a lot of the catalyst for what goes into this story arc that we're going to be focusing on. Yeah, we're we're both a couple of a uh, couple of heart marks. Yes, yeah. So for sure, 
it's gonna be it's gonna be touchy and sensitive at times but there's an underlying factor for me through this all uh, I feel that this may this might have been the greatest work of all time and we'll go through some of the motions we'll go through some things that have happened where I see pinpoints of it yep so I, I think there's definitely a case to be made there, and that's uh, sort of what we'll be uh, here to uh, try to guide you guys through. All right. Well, let's start us off. The biggest part of this whole story is definitely Vince McMahon. We all know who he is, right? Yeah, there wouldn't be any of this without good old Vince. Right. So he purchases WWF, a wrestling league, from his father. who His father was a famous boxing and wrestling promoter who had founded capital wrestling in dc right right in the backyard here yeah right in the backyard over here and they that's where dc kind of clicks into the southern region as well because baltimore is so close it's northern of it but we also have those ties with nwa yes so it's a nice little it's a nice little area where we got the best of both worlds. Yeah, sort of where these two titans kind of would, would meet meet in the middle there, you know. Right. It's the old line state. Yeah, and back in the days you had the territories, um, which were the NWA, and they were everywhere, and Vince McMahon wanted to codify and uh, basically solidify everything into his own little union. So he takes over his father's uh, promotion in 1980, and then from there... In 1984, we have Black Saturday, and that's when Vince McMahon takes over the Georgia Championship Wrestling uh, time slot from Turner, his his rival at the time. And Georgia yeah. Championship Wrestling is an NWA-owned television show. So he shows his show on there, and this is the beginning of Vince McMahon's takeover. He's starting to buy wrestlers from other territories and promotions and the huge names. So he's got superstars versus superstars. Yeah. Yeah. Basically going in and cherry picking the top guys from, you know, not just the, uh, you know, Georgia champion championship wrestling and Crockett in the South, but across the country, I mean, you know, go going all the way to, uh, Portland, um, where, uh, Roddy Piper got his, uh, his start. Right. And basically he wants to create this, whole area where everything is connected through cable television that's his big foot in the door and turner is a rival who owns a cable television network so this is a big war that's happened since the 80s basically yeah uh but it'll get even spicier in the 90s so spicy yes indeed (laughs) and then another big player that we have in here is without a doubt our favorite Bret Hart yes yeah the best there is the best there was and the best there ever will be all right yes indeed and he debuts in 1978 for his father's promotion started out as a referee and uh helping out with the ring and stuff and a guy couldn't perform and then he took over that spot yeah, stepped right in. Originally, um, you know, uh, he's he's gone on record saying he he wanted to get into film, um, so he was studying film, and you know, was dead set against joining this family business. But uh, you know, kind of got pulled into it out of necessity, out of wanting to help his father, and then um, found a love for it as he uh, started training and perform. Right, and another underlying 
tone of this is the father figure for Bret Hart. Yeah, yeah, definitely a need to um, to to you know not disappoint you know his dad or Vince who would you know become a father figure for him. Exactly. Later on down the line. Yeah. So Brett debuts and he's working for this father promotion in Calgary and that's Stampede Wrestling. Yes. Which eventually gets absorbed by Vince McMahon. And that happens um I think around 84 as well. Yeah. Yeah, right early 80s. Um uh, I'm not sure the it's probably is 84, but yeah, um definitely before the first uh WrestleMania. Right. And around that same time a uh, young Shawn Michaels is debuting in Texas. Yes. And he is trained by Jose Lothario, and he comes from a military background. Yep. So he's into this wrestling because he wanted to do collegiate wrestling and sports and then figured, ah, you know what? I think this wrestling thing is a better way to make money. Absolutely, yeah, and definitely sort of drawn to the uh, the rock star status that uh, that a lot of the wrestlers had back then. I think the the lifestyle brought him in as much as the um, you know the actual art form. Exactly, and he starts wrestling in Texas promotions over there, uh, little ones, but he's getting a good name over there. Um, in 1985, he debuts for World Class Championship Wrestling, and that's a famous territory before they eventually get absorbed or sell yeah. or die out exactly yeah ran, ran by the von erics um you know a lot of uh classic feuds there the von erics and the Freebirds being probably uh toward toward the top of that list of classic feuds right and that's where he teams up with marty Janetti originally mm-hmm. who they become the rockers later and they are actually first called the midnight rockers they go to awa which is another dying territory yep and that's mm-hmm. minnesota based by uh, by Vern Gagne. Yep. yep. And that's, uh, he's more of a old school wrestler. He trained originally Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, a whole crop of wrestlers. And a lot of guys ran through there. Mm-hmm. And Hulk Hogan, one of the biggest names in the business, was there before he was even a name. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's where the name Hulk Hogan comes from is, uh, is that, I don't know if Vern himself came up with that gimmick, but, uh, that, you know, he got a start there and that's where the, the Hulk gimmick was, uh, was born. Right. And he was able to license that from Marvel. Yeah. Um, and the Hogan was actually because he was Irish. Um, that was originally from Vince McMahon when he worked for Vince McMahon, the senior, senior originally, yeah. and then went back to the AWA. Yeah. Um, so he had a short stint originally in the WWF, but it was short lived. And um, Jim Barnett, well, a famous wrestling promoter, saw a lot in this guy and he saw a lot in john cena too so yeah he, he he's he's got a good eye yeah yeah for for uh picking out those uh future top guys right especially ones that he finds attractive <laughs> um so basically hulk hogan big star from the awa awa is dying out though because they lost him they lost a lot of people um the midnight rockers are there that's marty Janetti and Shawn michaels yeah and then they go to WWF and debut as the Rockers. But before that, Bret Hart is debuting in WWF. After the promotion, Calgary Stampede promotion gets absorbed, he debuts. 
Yep, goes goes to work uh, for Vince, and I think initially is uh, they're trying to give him a cowboy gimmick. They want him to be uh, cowboy Bret Hart, and that's a singles run, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was he was uncomfortable with working as a cowboy. What was the uh, the the famous quote that he had in his book? Uh, uh, where I'm from, if if you're not a cowboy, or, or if if you're not a real cowboy, you don't play a cowboy. Yeah, yeah. Just so, just like to give you an idea. I mean, most people know, but Brett takes uh, takes wrestling very seriously and, and himself very. Seriously. And and yeah, and look no further than uh, than that. Um, you know, sort of refusing this gimmick, which you know he could have done. You know, who knows if he would have done anything with it? I mean, he was talented enough to where he could have made anything work, but. Um, the fact that like nine nine guys out of ten, if not more, would have just taken that because that's what was given to them. He had the foresight to be like to know that was not him, um, and to not try to force it. Right, and it, it, he 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 puts himself in a particular pocket with other certain wrestlers that you like, Chris Benoit, uh, that are in this realm of where it was like so serious and so good. Yeah. Um, that they lived the character almost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, just in terms of like, you know, just a technical crispness that, uh, and just, you know, Brett's always been, uh, you know, famous as going on record as like going out of his way to make sure like, you know, he's, he's always said, if you, you're doing this right, you don't hurt anybody and you don't get hurt yourself. And just, um, you know, more attention to like the, uh, more focus on the sport versus the entertainment. Exactly. And the sports entertainment equation. And that's what it used to be. It was, yeah. it was simulating uh, a real bout. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, out of the old nostalgia. <laughs> um, so, Bret Hart, he's debuted in 84 as well uh, for Vince McMahon. He's already debuted before, but... This is his WWF debut, yeah. and they try to do the singles run, like you say. Then he starts teaming up with his brother-in-law, Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Yes. They form the Hart Foundation with Jimmy Hart. No relation. Just a great manager and musician. Yeah. Well, a great manager anyway. Ah, oh, no. <laughs> you don't like the music? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about the music. I mean, I'm sure I could pick out a few themes he did, but I mean, some of that later WCW stuff is just... <laughs> horrendous we'll have to go through an yeah. episode of like jimmy hart's oh god yeah yeah i'd love that <laughs> um and basically he starts teaming up with Nightheart, and they have the heart foundation and they're kind of a heel team at first right yeah yeah they're they're a heel team um the whole time they're with jimmy hart i mean jimmy hart i don't think um, until he ended up going to WCW and being a face with Hogan, I think most his, his entire WWF run he was he was working heel because he was just so annoying. Had the megaphone in hand all the time and that squeaky Southern voice. Right. Um, so yeah, they 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 worked heel until eventually uh, they parted ways with Jimmy Hart. Um, probably early ninety ninety one somewhere in there. Yeah, um, I th- I think possibly a little bit earlier, but um, they they did win the tag titles in eighty seven. Yeah, and that was from the British Bulldogs, yeah. who that's Bret Hart's brother-in-law. Yeah, also sort of got their start in Stampede. Yes, as well. Yeah, so absorbed yeah. by Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, that same year, uh, Michaels is winning the AWA tag titles with Janetti. So they're coming through in their own right. Yep. Um, 
we then have the year after Bret Hart is broken off into a singles era and uh he's kind of doing his little thing by himself and he's making a name as a heel i think yeah yeah it's sort of a quick um you know maybe they were sort of testing the waters but uh what ends up happening is at wrestlemania 4 uh he's in a uh, battle royal and i'm not sure if nightheart was in that uh either but it ends up coming down to um it ends up coming down to bad news allen uh another stampede guy and yeah. Nightheart was in that he, he was, was eliminated by George the Animal Steel. Ah, R.I.P. So not not quite the rub uh, <laughs> that, that no. Brett ends up getting here. So Bad News Allen wins the battle royal. Uh, Bret Hart uh, comes back in after after losing. He's pissed off. Uh, Bad News has been awarded this uh, ridiculous looking trophy uh, that's about as tall as he is. And uh, Brett Brett <laughs> takes those though. This, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if Trump had anything to do with that. This was the first mania at. Uh, at Wanted at, huge. It needs to be huge. I need to be taller than he is. Um, but uh, Brett comes in and ends up smashing the trophy and uh, attacking bad news. So um, you know, sort of definitely a heel move, sort of uh, testing the waters of a potential singles run, even as early as '88. Uh, right, and that's surprising, um, but it, it's cool. And yeah. at the same time, he's also coming into himself with the uh, the dark shades, the sunglasses. Be- yes, because because uh, he was having trouble on promos. He was very shifty eyed, uh, which is something I can relate to. Uh, but he was, uh, you know, he was having enough trouble delivering the promos, you know, as far as his speech and his words. Um, so to help with that, he uh, started wearing the uh, infamous Bret Hart sunglasses, uh, which I know I had I had a pair of when I was a kid. Uh, did did you have? Did you have a pair of those? No, but I yeah. wish I did. Yeah, yeah, it was. But I, I did do a thing where in the cereal boxes where you had those like three D glasses. Yeah, I would pretend those were my Brad Hart glasses. Put, put some string around them and yeah, yeah you yeah. know, nice, nice. Give them to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the front row. Right. Every, exactly. Every, everybody wanted to be that kid. <laughs> um, but yeah, he started wearing those to to help him out with his promos, and uh, they would you know become part of his uh, signature look probably the most even more than the uh, Sergeant Pepper's jacket he would start wearing uh, in the early 90s <laughs> uh, even more so than that I think the sunglasses are you know more of a signifier yeah. of uh, Bret Hart but yeah that started popping up around this time and I think Nightheart would tag along with it and he would wear the sunglasses too exactly and Nightheart was just pretty much crazy they knew that every time he would do a promo it was improv so you yeah. didn't have to tell him anything. It was just <laughs> stream of consciousness type, uh, almost ultimate warrior level, just uh, nonsensical screaming. And then tug on your goatee. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but by the next pay-per-view, SummerSlam 88, he and Neidhart are teaming back up again. Yeah. And they're going against Demolition for the titles, but they're beat. Yeah. So, uh, it's all right. But then at that time... Uh, guess who gets hired by the WWF? The Midnight Rockers. Exactly, but the Midnight has dropped. Yeah, they're just rockers now. They're all the time. They uh, you know, five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock rock. Uh, they they rock around the clock. Exactly. Yeah. They tune up the band all the time to eleven. Um, and actually, for that, they got fired within like 
two weeks of yeah. being hired. Yeah, Sean um, Sean had a run-in with a, with a veteran uh, member of the uh, roster at that time. I believe it may have been outlaw Ron Bass, but they were in a bar, uh, in a uh, confrontation in a bar. Um, that's the infamous story where uh, Vince brings them into, uh, into his office, and they're wearing their uh, cowboy boots, of course, because it's the 80s. Um, and before the meeting, Vince looks at the boots and uh, looks at Sean. He's like, nice boots there, son. You know, they're made for walking, right? And then starts laughing, you know, like he just like it's a joke and then proceeds to fire them after joking about firing them. (laughs) Get the last laugh. Yeah. Well, I got news for you, Jack. (laughs) He doesn't. No. Because they get hired back a little bit later and that's when they get. Because they're just too damn good. Yeah. Yeah. They're just so fucking good. They're innovative at the time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, They're doing top rope maneuvers, double team maneuvers that you haven't seen in a while. Yep. Uh, or ever, a uh, guy basically tripping another guy doing the drop kick and then double missile drop kicks from both corners was their yep. signature. Yep. Uh, they also invented the Famouser, which is known as the Rocker Dropper. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. That's true. So you got to look at a lot of things. Yeah. And most importantly, they did a crescent moon kick. Which would na- later become a sweet chin music. Yeah. Nobody does those super kicks anymore. No, no. no you no. don't see a lot of super kicks today. Never. I've never heard of that. I've never been invited to a party either. <laughs> <laughs> so through 88, 89, and 90, we get the Heart Foundation and the Rockers feuding a lot. So they end up teaming together at the first survivor series which is in 88 and it's a 10 on 10 survivor series tag team elimination match which goes 42 minutes yeah holy shit yeah they uh they you know booked 20 guys in that match and they uh they got their money's worth they indeed did he was teamed it was the power of pains uh the powers of pain warlord and barbarian the rockers Shawn michaels marty uh, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, the British Bulldogs, Davy Boy Smith and Dynamite Kid, the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil Neidhart. And at this time, Jimmy Hart had left them uh, and they were teamed with the Young Stallions, Jim Powers and Paul Roma. Ooh. And they beat Demolition, Brain Busters, the Bolsheviks, the Fabulous Rujos and the Conquistadors. It's pretty pretty solid field there, minus uh, Paul Rama and his yeah. buddy. And the Conquistadors. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they were. But, anyways, that was just interesting to me to see that they had both uh, debuted at the first um, Survivor Series. Yep. And later they would go on to have one of the most famous and infamous Survivor Series matches ever. Yep. So around the same time in like 89, we're getting the arrival of Stone Cold Steve Austin, but he's not Stone Cold yet. He's just Steve Steve, Williams. Steve Williams is a God-given birth name. Yeah, and he joins Chris Adams' school, and that's in Dallas Sportatorium, and he wrestles for World Class Championship Wrestling, which was what we talked about before. Yep. They're still around. Um. And he makes a name for himself there, uh, but he can't go by Steve Williams. So Dutch Mantel, of all people, yeah, he tells him, you should go by Steve Austin. It's a lot better. 
but that's the name of the million dollar man yeah. too. Yeah. Still works. Yeah, had his reservations about it at the time, but uh you know, went went and rolled with it and it ended up uh working out pretty well for him. Right. There was also, you know, there was this other Steve Williams going around at the time that's Doctor Death. Yeah. A very prominent collegiate wrestler and famous for NWA, WCW and Japan. Uh, USWA yeah. was where he was wrestling at the time and Continental Wrestling Association. So yeah. Yeah. Um then He's going on. He makes a name for himself there. He's got long, flowy, blonde hair. Yeah. He's got a big, bodacious, built blonde valet who's his <laughs> wife at the time. Yep, yep. Yeah, he's a lot different. Yeah, you, if you if you looked at him, you would not see the uh, the pissed off, bald redneck that we would come to recognize and, and love in the years to come. Um, but he's you know working his way up, much you know just like HBK did. Um, doing a lot of enhancement stuff, and then I think eventually uh, working himself into a feud with gentleman Chris Adams. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, indeed. And they put on some great matches. And he gets a lot of his ring uh, forte from Chris Adams, you can tell. Yeah. Uh, his technical side, I see. Definitely. So going on that way, 1990 arrives, and we have the Hart Foundation against the Rockers. And the Hart Foundation are the tag team t- champions at the time. And they face the Rockers in a match that goes bunk. Uh, the ring ropes collapse. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty unfortunate spot for him. Uh, so they were. It, this was on Saturday night's main event, um, and it was a two out of three falls match, and just you know, total spotlight for those two teams to go in there and you know showcase their uh, their technical skills and you know have this classic title match. But the ring, uh, I think the uh, the top ring uh, the top rope ends up snapping early on in the match, and uh, they fumble their way through it. Uh, but the the match never makes it to air on Saturday night's main event, and so, and that match, I believe the the Rockers go over, right? Yes, indeed, and they win the titles. Yeah, they defend it uh, at an at another night's taping, but yeah. then the decision is reversed because the taping didn't go well, didn't look good. I'm pretty yeah. sure M- McMahon almost blew his brains out over it, <laughs> um, and the they never aired it. So no. the Hart Foundation kept the titles yeah but thus beginning a good wrestling clinic between bret hart and Shawn michaels yeah and they actually have a singles match in 1988 which is on the superstars of wrestling or mm-hmm. primetime wrestling i believe and um it's it's one that i have never seen before yeah so nor have i have to look that up yeah let's all let's all look it up guys and if you can find it send it to us yeah. please <laughs> In 91, by that time, Austin is pretty much done with USWA and WCCW when they have their merger and they're going through their things because they're the last of the territories Mm -hmm. remaining. Yep. And there's another kind of territory, kind of cable-owned place called WCW. (laughs) And that's what Turner, basically, he... Explain to us what WCW so, is. Yeah, so Turner ends up, um, I think, acquiring Crockett Promotions, which you know ran the Carolinas and um, you know up Virginia and you know south of the Carolinas as well. Um, but they, uh, you know, they put on the first uh, pay per view in Starcade, and so they were they were with the NWA. Yeah, they were still part of the NWA. They were trying to expand 
you know, go move for move with McMahon and make themselves a national brand. However, they had some, you know, poor business decisions financially. Um, you know, there was some questions about Dusty Rhodes, who was booking at the time. So one thing leads to another, and Ted Turner ends up buying outright Crockett Promotions. So now he owns his networks, obviously, um, and he has Crockett Promotions. So he rebrands his world championship wrestling um, in in the early 90s there. Um, and so... Uh, they are running their they're running weekly uh, t- shows on on the uh, Turner Networks, and they're trying to expand as well. And it's at this time when Steve Austin comes into the fold, um, and there's one Paul E. Dangerously uh, who is working as a manager, looking to create sort of a new Four Horsemen uh, for the new WCW era, and. Uh, believe this is where he uh kind of takes a shine to steve and brings him into the fold correct yes indeed and um from there steve austin joins wcw yep right after his debut he beats bobby eaton for the wcw television championship but you wouldn't say that he was still really pushed until he joined the dangerous alliance later yes but he did get a good name for himself as a single star coming through. Yeah. Um, there's a lot in this guy, you can tell, at the time. And he goes on to feud with Barry Windham, which is great. They put on a hell of a match in 1992. Um, but that's coming up at around the same time for what we're going to see mirroring uh another arrival of two superstars in 1992 in WWF. But before then, 1991 in WWF. In 90, you get the the breakup the, of the Hart Foundation. And it's not really any breakup. It's just Bret Hart starts wrestling singles matches. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they, there's no um, big blow up like another team we'll get into in a second. But um, yeah, I think Knight Hart goes his own way and forms a team with uh, Owen Hart. Brett's brother, who has just been brought into the that into is the a little later, but yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, a little bit later than that. I think Nightheart might have been gone for a little bit, but yeah, Brett starts his singles run and he's getting into the Intercontinental Title picture now, right? And he is going to feud with Mister Perfect, and Mister Perfect is coming from the AWA, Kurt Henning, yeah, and he's a great wrestler that knows Bret Hart from the past and they're good friends and he has this back injury quote unquote but uh they put on a hell of a match at SummerSlam and Bret Hart gets his first singles title and it's the Intercontinental Championship and it's a hell of a match it is it's a classic um Madison Square Garden the crowd the crowd is 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 hot and uh definitely a classic a classic moment um for, for Brett's career as well as you know, probably the one of the best Mr. Perfect matches ever. Right. Um, I, I love that match. As a kid, I, I, I just remember renting the VHS at the Blockbuster. Yes. Um, man, just going back on that one. Because that yeah. was the 91 SummerSlam where Hogan also faced Earthquake. Earth, yeah. Got his comeuppance for that uh, traumatizing... Uh, experience that he put hulk and yourself through yes indeed and uh later that year also we get the breakup of the rockers but wait was it at first 
they played it off in a classic uh, barbershop window, which that's a explain what barbershop. Yeah, so uh, much in the vein of uh, you know um, of uh, Ms. TV or some of the other talk segments that they have now. Uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Uh, had his own uh, talk segment uh, called the Barbershop. These were pretty. These were a lot more common back then. You had uh, Piper's Pit, which was you know, you know, set the you know set the uh, standard for all of them to this day. Um, but you know, a few others. You know, I think um, you know, Undertaker had the Funeral Parlor with Paul Bear in the early days. Uh, but yeah, just a just a you know a, a segment with a backdrop. You know, where guys can cut promos. You know, and not have it being in the ring which is you know all of what you see now is like guy in a ramp and guy in the ring but anyway um so the the rockers had been teasing differences for for months and they uh they go to the barbershop window this is december 2nd 1991 yes a date which will live in infamy (laughs) um and uh so they uh they you know talk their differences out and they they appear to come to an understanding he's got the magazine Yes, it's a it's a I guess it's a raw magazine. It's or? well, it's yeah, WWF magazine that was like you know what is you know what's the future the fu- of the rockers exactly exactly. And it was Marty Jannetty on one side of the magazine, and Shawn Michaels on the other side of the magazine. Yeah, and uh, and so all. yeah, and so they 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 come to this understanding and they hug it out. Uh, Bobby Heenan is calling it, and he says, "See, I, I I knew they would find they would find a way to make it work. You know, one isn't any good without the other." And then, just as quick as the snap of your fingers, Sean uh, super kicks Marty, and then throws it throws his head uh, through the plate glass one plate glass window. That's advertising uh, for the barbershop. Yeah, yeah, for the barbershop. Oh my god. And an infamous turn. And then Heenan in a classic Heenan moment after uh just saying that he knew he was so sure they were gonna get back together and he was you know, one isn't good without the other. As soon as Sean uh super kicks Marty, he says, Oh I knew he was gonna do that <laughs> and just just Bobby Heenan, one of one of my heroes in wrestling, that was one one of his finest calls. <laughs> I hated him as a child. But now I love everything. He was so good. So I couldn't good. get enough of yeah. him. Um, so, yeah, at that point, Shawn Michaels makes his heel moment. And he's a single star. And now he's a prominent villain. And he's coined the boy toy. <laughs> and also Kurt Henning told him to become the heartbreak kid. Um which which is nice because it plays into him feuding with Bret Hart, which is one of his constant rivals throughout. Yeah. And you'll find out soon enough because in 1992 as well, Bret Hart has the Intercontinental title. But this following year's SummerSlam, he's going to face his brother-in-law, Davy Boy Smith. Yes. And that's in London. And that's one of the biggest drawing cards ever yeah i believe yeah absolutely uh this was not only the first wwf pay-per-view to you know to take place in london um but they they did wembley stadium which uh you know it, you know upwards of sixty thousand, seventy thousand, somewhere in there um and yeah just just a huge show and main evented you know it, it was it was significant because the intercontinental title main evented that show i mean you had savage versus warrior 
Right. Um, because H- Hogan at this time is gone because of a, what's also going on, with a big Vin- thing. Yep. A steroid scandal. Yeah. And uh, Vince McMahon is losing, uh, losing prominent viewers and... Hulk Hogan doesn't want to tarnish his name, so he's going to take a sabbatical and take some breaks and do some movies as well. Yeah. And at this time, he loses to Warrior at WrestleMania six uh, a couple months before, and Warrior is now claimed the champion. So yeah, yeah, Warrior. I think that they trade. You know, it goes from Warrior to. Uh, it goes back and forth for a couple of years. Flair has it at a certain point, but to get us to 92, um, Flair, uh, Flair wins the belt in the 92 Royal Rumble. Macho takes it at WrestleMania and carries it through to SummerSlam where he is then feuding with, uh, feuding with Warrior. And so that's that's the, the feud for the WWF title, which is obviously the biggest title in the company. But because they're in London um, and because they want the you know the best talent to put on the best match, at least on this night, you know, um, the Intercontinental title made events over the WWF title for the first time on any pay-per-view. And it's a great match. It is one of the best. And finding out from Bret Hart's book, um, it's surprising that they pulled this off because apparently Davy Boy Smith smoked a bunch of crack with Jim the Anvil Neidhart the night before. Yeah. Yeah, uh, like, a, like a couple brother-in-laws are want to do. Yep, just, just choke on up on yeah. that crack pipe and then... Uh, <laughs> Wrestle a clinic the next day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Bulldog gets the victory in a uh, a roll up, basically, um, and it's a great it's a great match, man. It's one of my all time favorites as a kid as well. Yeah, me too. And right after that, they're still going through the steroid stuff, and guess who gets popped with steroids? Uh, Davy Boy Smith, yeah, fresh off of his huge Intercontinental right. title victory, and Ultimate Warrior, who was feuding with Ric Flair and Macho at the time, and was apparently supposed to get the title back, but um, doesn't look like that's panning out. No. So WWF needs somebody to step up, and they need a good hand. They need a strong wrestler uh, that maybe isn't that strong looking. Uh, because of the steroid issue. And who do they go to? Bret Hart. Yep. So that year, 1992, um, we get in October in Saskatchewan. Yes. Of Bret all Hart. places. Yes, indeed. That's like, um, that's like native territory for Bret Hart. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he defeats Ric Flair, the champion. Yeah, he, he beats him. It's not on a pay-per-view. Uh, it, it was uh, just taped for Coliseum Home Video. Uh, uh, but uh, they, they go ahead and put the belt on him uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, the you know knowing that he's going to be the guy going forward because I think every indication at that point was that Flair would uh, go back to WCW, which he does in early 1993. Um, but so they don't make a they don't give him a huge coronation at first, but they do put the belt on him uh, in Saskatchewan. And so going into Survivor Series of 1992, for the first time, your WWF champion is Bret the Hitman Hart. Exactly, and I think we kind of miss something um, with with Bret Hart and. The beginning of 1992, 
he had the Intercontinental title, and his opponent for WrestleMania was Hot Rod. Yes. Um, yeah. But he lost the title to Mountie out of nowhere. Yeah, kind of, kind of a random, a random switch there. And they said it was the flu too, but yeah. also there's rumors and things in the book talking about his contract was actually coming to an end, and he was in talks with WCW. Yeah, and they wanted to make Bret Hart a name, and Vince McMahon didn't want that. Yeah. So he sat and decided, and we had that little Mountie and. Uh, Piper feud yeah. that happened. And yeah, not, Brett, a, not a classic. Yeah. But. Brett won the Intercontinental title back, but just goes to show that he was well-wanted from the WWF and WCW, yeah. and he did play contract games. Even in 92, yeah, yes. which we'll, you know, we'll get back into in, in, in a, once we get into 96, of course. Right. So 1992, at this time as well, Austin is in WCW and he's he's having the 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 mid card role. He's just with the Dangerous Alliance, but he is also involved with a war games match where he blades like crazy. He does. Yeah, he he pays not only does he blade, but I I've watched that match recently. Um and he just gets the hell beaten out of him in that match. Like he, he is paying some dues. He's working hard, and he's getting he's getting potatoed throughout that One throughout of the that best. match. Oh yeah, five star match. One uh, of the best, certified by Uncle Dave. <laughs> Back to Bret Hart. He wins that title from Ric Flair in late '92, and they air it on Superstars. And then within a couple weeks, he's defending the title nonstop because they have to build up for survivor series and he needs an opponent. Who do they put him against? The, uh, freshly, uh, crowned intercontinental champion, uh, Shawn Michaels. Exactly. And Shawn Michaels gets crowned that intercontinental championship after, because of the, uh, the steroid suspension, uh, that Davy boy, uh, ran into along with warrior and a couple other guys. um, yeah, Davy Boy has the belt for a very short period of time, and Shawn Michaels uh, takes it from him on an episode of Saturday Night's Main Event. And so, uh, in building this feud, um, you know they have these two sort of newly established single stars, um, both new in their respective titles, um, but they're they're able to build it as a champion versus champion match going into Survivor Series '92. Exactly. Yeah. And before then, Shawn Michaels did get a title shot. And that was against Randy Savage, and that was earlier in the year of 1992. Yeah. And Savage put him over big. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, yeah, he did win that Intercontinental title from the British Bulldog, and that was in October of 1992. So we're building hot for the match, champion versus champion. And it's a great match. It's classic. I love this match. And I never saw this as a kid until I was a lot older. Uh, I couldn't find the tape for a while, and streaming services anything like that was hard to come by yeah yeah you i mean those were the days where you'd have to like you know torrent and and do all this this was 
well before the days of the network, um, you know, when we were coming up, um, you know, looking for this stuff. But I think was it on the uh, the first Bret Hart DVD that that uh, WWE put, put yes, out? Yes, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, that was the first time I saw it. So that's like 2005. We're we're seeing this match for the first time, but it is it's a it's a classic. They they go in there. It's almost 30 minutes, and um, and I think one of the reasons they do this match because earlier in the year. They also have a ladder match for Bret Hart's Intercontinental title, yeah, which is a hell of a match, and it's WWF's first ladder match. That's right. It's not WrestleMania ten Razor versus Shawn. This was they they sort of did a dry run. It was taped, but it wasn't. Um, I think it was another Coliseum video exclusive, right? Um, but uh, yeah, they, they uh, did the first ladder match, and so you know they're they're building their chemistry that goes back to you know the foundation versus the Rockers, and you know they put on this ladder match, and that's a new thing. And so they at this point, Vince has the confidence in both of them. You know, maybe not to have the larger than life struggle on the level of a you know Hogan versus Warrior, but to go in there in the main event and you know entertain the crowd and and have a classic title match. Right, and and they. Certainly do. It ends with Shawn Michaels going for a missile drop kick, and it's caught by Bret Hart and turned into a sharpshooter. Yep. Great ending. Classic ending. Yes. Um, from there, Bret Hart is defending the champion, and he defeats Razor Ramon at the following year's Royal Rumble. Another great match. And again, feud with Papa Shango. <laughs> I don't know why they tried to push him so hard. Were you scared of him as kid? Do you remember? I, I was more intrigued by Papa Shango. Okay. I don't know why. I should have been scared of him. There were other guys like uh, like in later years, Goldust, I was a little afraid of. Uh, but but Papa Shango didn't really scare me too much for okay. whatever reason. Me, me too. Yeah. I, I was more or less in fact infatuated like, yeah hey, yeah it's cool like guy? to this day like i think neat. he's yeah he made the ultimate warrior have green goo yeah him. yeah like he he possessed him and 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 made him projectile vomit right yeah, that's cool yeah that's cool it's pretty neat so bret hart is reigning champion but we got a competitor coming up against him and we have wrestlemania 9 hmm. And that's he against Yokozuna. And he won the 1993 Royal Rumble. Yeah. Despite uh, Randy Savage's best efforts to try to pin Yoko in a Royal Rumble, which uh, <laughs> if you're familiar with the Royal Rumble, that's not how it works. He goes for the pinfall and gets... Uh, and he leaps out of the ring. Yeah, yeah. Gets uh, either leaps himself out of the ring or gets sprung by the massive power of Yokozuna, depending on how you want to look at it. But yeah, Yoko comes out on top in the in the 93 Rumble. So you've got this new monster heel versus the new established technically, technically sound champion. There's no way they could screw this up, right? There's no way they could screw find a way to screw this up. Hell no. No. It's going to no. be great. No, no. Ah, uh, they fuck it all. <laughs> um, man, that match. It was good. It's not a bad match, yeah. I but mean, the end. Yeah, in the end, um, you know, Yoko Zuna goes over, um, you know, with some uh, the ceremonial salt to the face from Mr. Fuji, who was Yoko's manager. You know, that's kind of a kind of a screwy finish. But, you know, if you want to get the heel over by, by keeping, you know, heart strong, that's that works. But then... 
Well, at the time, Yokozuna is the first heel to ever win the championship at a WrestleMania. Yeah, and 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 if that if WrestleMania would have ended there, he would have been the first heel to to go over in the main event all the way up until WrestleMania in two thousand, where it, it didn't end. Ah, yeah, it didn't because I would say out of the clear blue sky, but it, there was an ominous feel over Sears of Palace. The storm clouds rolled in. Hulk Hogan, who had already worked a tag team match with his buddy uh, Brutus Beefcake against Money Incorporated earlier in the show, comes back out there and uh, is consoling his friend Brett. Right? He's he's just there strictly for support. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I don't believe that. No. No. Uh, he. Uh, Inexplicably, inexplicably, Mr. Fuji uh, gets on the microphone and uh, issues a challenge uh, for Yoko's newly won title, which he in no way has to defend and no heel would want to defend. What? All right. I guess that makes sense. But Brett waves him on, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, Hogan plays it, plays it cool. Like, oh, I could never do that. And then Brett, uh, with the salt still in his face, waves him ahead. Salt in his wound <sighs> salt in the wound it's it, i still have i still have that wound it's never gonna heal um but uh so yeah he waves hogan into the ring uh and hogan beats yokozuna in about 10 seconds and oh my god takes walks out of wrestlemania 9 uh with the wwf championship and apparently the talks in bret hart's book is that uh hulk came in and he wanted to come back to WWF because the court trials were going okay. Hawk didn't implicate himself, uh, brother. And basically he wanted another run with the title and he wanted to give back. But, um, Hart thought that it was his time. So yeah, they arranged maybe Hulk take the title and then at that SummerSlam coming up, it would be Hart and Hogan. And Hart even claims that there was a photo shoot done where they did a tug of war type of thing on a beach. Yeah. Uh, between the title. Man, I would love to see those pictures. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, they they wanted to set it up for a proper passing of the torch. Yeah, you know, much like Andre passed the torch to Hogan. Uh, it was now Hogan's turn to do the same for Hart, but that's not how he's going to do business, brother. Right, exactly, brother. And uh, before we get too far, in January of 93, that year on the other side, WCW, we have Austin forming a tag team known as the Hollywood Blondes with Brian Pillman. And they win the tag team championships on March 3rd, and they defeat Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas. Quite a pair. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, and they hold the title for a good five months. Um, and then they face Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. So they got a good feud going with the Four Horsemen. Yeah. Classic. Yeah, two guys who've been at the top of the game for, for you know, pretty much a decade at that point. Um, and and one of the obviously one of the highlights of this was, uh, you know, Austin and Pillman establishing themselves as these young guns, as these young... Bucks, mm-hmm. 
coming up in the world per se. Uh, and uh, they do a uh, they do a segment. Uh, Ric Flair had his own talk show segment at the time, uh, known as a Flair for the Gold. Yes. Uh, so uh, that's like the barbershop. Yeah, yeah, gold. much like that. Even even though I think the a flare, yeah, a flare for the Gold was like overproduced. Like it was like it was in its own studio because it's it was done by Turner, so he has all the TV studios he needs. So it's like in a studio with like maybe an audience. I'll have to go back and watch. But at any rate, what uh, what the blondes do is they do a parody segment which is hilarious uh where they do instead of a flare for the gold they do a flare for the old <laughs> um and they're uh they're dressed up as as flare and arn and you know made look and like these uh elderly gentlemen um and just tear into them the whole time wow that's yeah. that's innovative and catchy i wonder if anybody is ever going to steal that gimmick yeah maybe maybe in a few years wow <laughs> So, it's Austin and Pillman. They're the Hollywood Blondes, and they're a tyrannical heel team. Yep. And they're doing their thing. They have their title reign. They're feuding with the Horsemen. Who who better two people to learn from? Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. Two of the best. At the same time... We thought that Hawkamania run was about to go solid, brother. But uh, about June of that year, when's WrestleMania? March? Uh, yeah, WrestleMania was in March, or you know, last last Sunday in March, first Sunday in April, somewhere in there. So about like yeah. two and a half, yeah, three months. Hawkamania's reign ends, brother, at the King of the Ring, June nineteen ninety three. Yeah. Wow! But that same event, the King of the Ring tournament. What is that? That is the uh, the King of the Ring tournament was a uh, just a sort of an exhibition tournament that they had run for years, but not an exhibition. The uh, you know the winner is bestowed uh, as the King of the Ring, and you know various wrestlers throughout the years have used that King gimmick. Uh, King of the Ring '93 was the very first time they did the tournament as its own pay per view, um, and so in that year, uh, Bret Hart, who I believe had previously won King of the Ring. It was it. It was an undercard thing. It yeah. wasn't televised, but yes, he did yeah. win it. Yeah. So he had he had won one of those you know less known tournaments before, but he uh, wrestles three matches at King of the Ring '93 and and puts the entire show on his back. Um, and there are three different type of style matches. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because he's got uh, first of all he's got um, Razor Ramon. And then uh, beats Razor Ramon in a, in a rematch of the Rumble there. Then goes on to face his old rival, Mr. Perfect. Yes, indeed. Um, and they have you know one of, one of their best matches. Um, Comparable to the SummerSlam match. Yeah, yeah. Same with the Razor and the Rumble match. Yeah, definitely. Um, they're shorter matches because he's working three matches, obviously. But they're both so solid. Yes. One so of my solid. favorite King of the Rings. Um, one too. of my favorite Bret Hart series of matches. Like within... Three hours, you get three of his greatest matches. Yeah, and there are three unique matches, like you said, three completely different guys. Um, and then in the finals, wrestles uh, the big man, Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam, <laughs> and uh, he uh, beats Bam Bam. Is uh, bestowed uh, as the king of the ring. Gets the uh, the crown, the cape, the scepter, and then from out of the woodwork comes one. Jerry the King Lawler. Yes. And they start their feud. I hated this. I never liked Jerry the King Lawler. 
yeah it's he's he's hard to like he's hard to like in in many different respects and, and i feel in a lot of ways he brought your career down a peg yeah you know is that is that the, i mean is do you feel the same sentiment? i mean definitely in this stage of the game like he you know he probably you know he made some people when he was in memphis and he was the man there for sure i mean obviously you know looking at the the, the whole andy kaufman feud is iconic mm-hmm. um you know um but uh yeah at this point in his career he's getting older um, and being in the ring with Bret Hart, he just, it, it never felt like he could keep up. No. And it slowed Bret down a peg. And although he did have a dastardly heel to work against because he was such a clean baby face mm-hmm. that they were booking him as, um, it just didn't work. Yeah. I needed somebody. Yeah. And they kept coming back to it. They had separate matches in, you know, 93, 94, 95. Oh and it God. was just like, it was about a two and a half year feud. Yeah. And some things were stopped in between. Basically that same year, 93 is they were supposed to do the survivor series. Mm-hmm. Jerry gets in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. He gets into a little bit of trouble. Uh, you know, we're not going to get too much into it. There were some allegations that he ended up not being, uh, officially, um, found guilty of but uh not not the type of thing you want to be accused of so he took some time off from the company during that time and so for the second year in a row uh brett's adversary is sean michael one hbk yeah wow yeah so they face off um it's the hart family it's brett hart owen hart bruce hart and keith hart with Stu hart against Shawn Michaels and his knights, which it was supposed to be Jerry the King Lawler and his knights, but didn't pan out. They that just way. ran with it. Yeah. yeah. A returning Shawn Michaels from actually being fired for a stare or suspended and pop for a steroid yep. uh, violation. Uh, but he gets his big comeback and he's with the red knight, the blue knight and the black knight. And they lose in thirty fifty seven. But in this match, Brett starts a feud with no other than Owen. Owen, yes. yeah, his uh, his younger brother, um, not the brother that Vince initially wanted to roll roll with for this feud. Correct? I think no. He, it was supposed to be Bruce Hart. But... Yeah, who was older and not nearly as good in the ring. It would have been would have been a disaster. Um, and it, I, I I can't even imagine. You know the feud being anywhere near as good as, as it ended up being because you get Owen as the jealous younger brother trying to step out of the shadow of his older brother. Uh, so they start some beef, um, you know, and at, at survivor series 93, uh, but kind of make up over the holidays, you know, survivor series being on Thanksgiving, they, they come together and they form a tag team around Christmas. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then that leads us into the Royal rumble where they have their tag title shot, against the uh, Quebecers. Yes. Um, and during that match, Brett hurts his leg, uh, and they end up losing the match. Oh, shit. Yeah. And uh, Owen does not take very kindly to this. Uh, he's he's upset that they lost the match, and in his official heel turn, attacks Brett, goes after the injured leg, and that really... He kicks his leg out of his leg. <laughs> The famous call was that was that Vince or was that Mister Mister Perfect who said that? No, that was Owen. That said oh, that. that's right. And, and that's why you're selfish. And that's why I kicked your leg out of your leg. <laughs> All right. Not the best turn of phrase from Owen, but uh, it's a, it it starts this feud, which would carry them through almost all of '94. Yeah. Um, 
and, and deep into 95 as well yeah, yeah. Uh, off and on but that that's building that arc for Bret Hart and at the same time Shawn Michaels has a feud with Razor Ramon because in his absence of him being fired he was the Intercontinental Champion but Razor Ramon gets this push and becomes the Intercontinental Champion himself so Shawn Michaels is claiming his own Intercontinental Championship um, at the same time, Brett is injured in that Royal Rumble match. He comes back later. He wins the Royal Rumble. Yeah, he's the first co-winner of the Royal Rumble because, uh, according to uh, WWF's instant replay at the time, uh, him and Lex Luger both hit the floor at the same time, which is debatable. But that's that's what they that that's what they end up going with. But he clearly got a huge pop when he comes back out. He's limping. Um, yeah. And Lex got a good push as well. But they were trying to push Lex as the next Hogan. Yeah. And I don't think it was working. No, it's not, it wasn't working for, you know, the fact that Lex had you know no charisma. Um, and then also that's just not what the fans wanted to see. I think the fans were, you know, sort of, you know, they had seen some of what Brett and Sean had to offer at the top of the card. And that's, you know, what they wanted. Exactly. So we get Brett and Luger dueling wins. We get Sean and Razor on a conflict. We get the headline for WrestleMania 10. And what's that? My earliest memory in life. Uh, not, exactly. Yeah. Bring uh, us through it. What, yeah. do you, what, what do you remember? Do you... Did you guys order that? Well, we uh, we uh, had one of the uh, infamous uh, discramblers uh, on the cable boxes, Love which uh, yeah weren't you know weren't necessarily legal, but uh, it was great because it enabled me to watch every single pay per view, um, and boy did I I tape I watched them all I taped them all uh, I had them all on tape and would you know go back and rewatch them, but uh, yeah WrestleMania ten I mean I remember watching that in my uh, in my grandparents' living room. Um, I think it was an early start. I want to say even though they were in New York City, they still started at around four. Um, But, yeah, you have the the two main events. You have uh, Sean, first of all, Sean versus Razor. And as you mentioned, the dispute with the titles, they end up having them in the first time in a WWF pay-per-view, a ladder match. Yes, indeed. Which is, you know, as we mentioned, something that they visited with Brett and Sean a few years before, but they decided to roll with it here. They have both both belts uh, suspended above the ring, and they go out there, and, I mean, this is, you know, this is the, the ladder match to which, you know, everyone since, you know, has been, you know, they, they've since gotten crazier and crazier, obviously, but it all goes back to this one in terms of, this sets the marker. Yes. Yes, exactly. This is it. Yeah. Um it's dueling belts up at the top. Yeah. And it's a great match, man. Definitely. It's better than the Brett and Sean one before. I will admit. Yeah, that. yeah, I would say so too. I mean, the, they were it was still so new at that point and I think Brett and Sean were still sort of building their chemistry. Um, but yeah, that match is outstanding. I mean, there's a case, some people say that Brett, that, I mean, excuse me, Sean just went in there and had a hell of a match with the ladder. I think, no. I think Ric Flair said that. I think that's underselling, uh, Razor's performance. Cause he, he does great in that too. No. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, they both put on a hell of a job. Yeah. Uh, Razor's selling is what gives it a lot too. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I don't think a broom could sell like that. No. At, at the same time, Brett is got this 
championship bout that he's promised. Yeah. And so does Lex Luger. Yeah. So but Owen Hart is in the picture as well. Exactly. Explain to us what's going on there. Yeah. So um, in order to uh, even the playing field, so to speak, uh, which I mean is it evens the playing field for everybody who isn't Yokozuna because Yokozuna just, you know, <laughs> gets gets the uh short end of the stick here because he has to defend his title twice just because of this tie um this is before the days of triple threats too right uh ecw would go on to sort of innovate that and wwf would pick it up and i mean not until we're like well into the attitude era yeah, for, for it, triple it's threats a while. I think yeah it's 96 97 yeah so we see the first one uh wcw does a triangle match yeah yeah in there um it still is not common for us not yeah definitely not so uh what they end don't up, have fatal five ways yet no no fatal five fatal way. five way <laughs> can you find like a different uh descriptor there i know fatal four way was so yeah. good but, yeah uh, yeah, I don't know. yeah i don't know there's not that many well there's a couple good f words but yeah <laughs> not, not none that would fit into a there fucking five it's way. a fucking five way <laughs> can you believe it uh <laughs> So uh, at any rate, um, to even the playing field, uh, they they have a coin toss um, that uh, for some reason I think Luger wins, but he that means he wrestles Yoko first, and he's so for some reason he's so, so excited. He's about celebrating it. that, even though like you know he's gonna even if he wins the title, he's gonna have to then defend it. You're talking about a guy who lost to him. He lost his title match to Yoko via D via count out yeah and he fucking celebrated like he won the title yeah like i get to wrestle yoko first and then potentially have to defend my newly won title whereas brett is wrestling a non-title match has nothing to lose i mean he's got the got the pride um on the line against his brother but yeah i'll, I'll never forget that shot of luger winning and just he's just so psyched and i'm like it's the dumbest face move ever yeah and brett again is keeping realism he's yeah. got to face his brother so he's like wow he yeah. knows his brother is this this little shit, yeah. this little nugget, yeah, <laughs> and uh, he has to face him. Still, he's got to put an end to it, and yeah. he's also got his get get his win back from Yokozuna and win the title. Yeah. So we enter the first match on WrestleMania ten before the ladder match. Yeah, before the first match on the card, uh, arguably the greatest opener. Um, you know, definitely the greatest opener up until a few years ago when uh, Daniel Bryan and Triple H put on a really good match. Woo. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's the first match. And one of the things I really like even before, I mean, obviously this is, you know, nearly a five-star match. It's one of my favorites of all time, but just a little subtle thing before the match, they, uh, uh, the show starts and the ring announcer, you know, says, you know, the following, following match is set for one fall and Brett's music hits and Owen comes out. So the, the crowd pops when they hear that guitar screech. Man. And then and then it stops and Owen's music hits and he just gets that much more heat. It's um, so good. Yeah, uh, but nice the two touch. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. And so the yeah the two go on to have the you know this classic match that Owen's and Owen ends up sneaking out. Uh, he I think he gets him with the roll up. Yep. The yep. I think it's the O'Connor roll. Yes, oh. you're you're exactly right. And it's a great match. He's got a lot of spit around his mouth. And his yeah, face. for I'll the never forget that. post-match promo was not the most flattering moment. But Owen is still selling it like he finally yeah. beat Brett. He's yeah. the better man. Yeah. He is the next contender. For He's beaten Brett, who says that he's the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. And Brett still has one match. 
Luger, he has his match as well. Yeah, Luger uh, has his uh, title shot that he was so stoked to get um, against Yoko, and uh, it's announced before the match that Mr. Perfect is your special guest referee. Um, and long story short, Perfect ends up screwing Luger out of the match because they had beef going back to WrestleMania 9 when Lex was still the narcissist and wasn't even the uh, the All-American that he became. Uh, but uh, So Yoko walks out of that with the title, uh, and so that sets the stage for the rematch. Brett versus Yoko. Big match. Big match. And uh, in this, we finally get the coronation that should have happened a year ago at WrestleMania 9, arguably. Um, You know, Roddy Piper comes out as your special guest referee for whatever reason. Um, And Brett goes over on another another solid match. I mean, neither of these matches are classics because Yoko is kind of limited in his mobility. Man, that was a terrible ending. Yeah, that's right. I don't like the ending for for WrestleMania 10. Yeah, Uh, go, go through that again. It's 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 about to be a bonsai drop where he where Yokozuna is going to squash Bret Hart and he's in the center of the ring, um, but he he's so drained from being in the sharpshooter earlier yeah. that he falls and stumbles back. He does the cartoonish whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa <laughs> and falls back and Bret just rolls him up for the pin. Yeah, that's right. I forgot that that was the finish. That's it's very anticlimactic. Not good at all. Like yeah. I thought he was going to submit him. I thought he was going to, I mean, at least something for a big win. But yeah. no. Yeah. So the finish left something to be desired. But you do have the locker room coming out and celebrating with Brett, um, and that's your closing image of WrestleMania ten. So going forward, Brett is the guy, but isn't the guy for very long, is he? No, they don't really believe in him too much, do they? No, every time Vince, uh, you know, gives him that that uh, mythical brass ring, he kind of takes it away from him. Right, and in the prior year, nineteen ninety three, Vince debuted Monday Night Raw, another avenue of cable television. Yeah, and this is prime time. This is Monday nights. This is big time. He's making. Uh, an hour-long show feel phenomenal, and it's live. Yeah, quote unquote, <laughs> for the first couple weeks anyway. Exactly, yeah. and it's a great show. And Bret Hart is basically the flag bearer for Monday Night Raw at this time. Yeah, yeah, he's your he's your champion uh, on on the first episode, or yeah, leading because it's leading into WrestleMania Nine when it debuts. Yep. Yeah, yep, and he is. He still got it through 94 after the WrestleMania 10 victory. And, and in, in the meanwhile, we have Shawn Michaels and his buddy Diesel. And that's his bodyguard at the time. Yes. Uh, Kevin Nash, fresh from WCW, working such uh, tremendous gimmicks as uh, Oz yeah. and Vinny Vegas. Um, yep. Yeah, debuts as uh, HBK's uh, bodyguard. And the two form a tag team, and they're... You know, pretty much inseparable, become, you know, best friends in real life. And, you know, up until late 94. Yeah, they win the tag team titles do, in yeah. August of 94. Yep. Uh, and it's great. But we have Bret Hart as the champion, and he, he ends up losing the title to Bob Backlund. Bob Backlund, of all people. Holy crap. Yeah. I can't believe that. Bob Backlund was the champion at the time in the WWF mm. 
and he was the purist against NWA's Harley race, I assume. Yeah, yeah. This was, I mean, he, this was in the uh, early 80s before Hogan. Like, he, you know, was just a uh, pretty much like he, I believe he came up in Minnesota as well, amateur background, uh, just sort of like an all American face um, who had his run with the company and then, you know, was out of wrestling for a number of years and then comes back to WWF in 93 and, uh, starts to take on this sort of psychotic gimmick where he just snaps and he puts people in his cross face chicken wing and just doesn't let go until the refs pull apart. And when he, when they, when the refs finally pull this guy out, Backlund just kind of looks up at the lights and looks crazy. So he's working this crazy gimmick. Yep. And um, that's Survivor Series that yeah. he loses the title. Another Survivor Series, once again, an ominous, uh, an ominous event. And what happens in that match is basically... Uh, it, it's a it's a submission match. Yeah, and this is where Owen throws in the towel. Yeah, he uh, he has the parents at ringside too, and he's like begging and pleading with the with his parents to throw the towel in, and the mom finally throws it in, and that's how uh, Brett loses the title. He doesn't get pinned, he doesn't tap out, but because of the stipulation, Backlund gets the belt. Right, and uh, he he Bret Hart had faced Diesel before. But they didn't want to do a direct uh, Diesel victory over Bret Hart because it was a basically at this time Diesel had became a face. Yeah, and Shawn Michaels was still in that heel persona, and he was out of action as well, back yep. and forth, going through his personal demons. Yeah, and <clears throat> so they have Backlund drop the title to Diesel, and that's. In eight seconds. On a house show. Yeah. And that's three days after Hart loses the title. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll go to show you something. Uh, but then we have Hart challenging Diesel for the championship at the 95 Royal Rumble. And what happens at the 95 Royal Rumble as well? The 1995 Royal Rumble match, which is won by... Uh the heartbreak kid himself, Shawn Michaels, in his first Royal Rum- first of uh, two Royal Rumble wins. Yes, indeed. And he's last in there with Davy Boy Smith, I believe. Yep. And it's a great Rumble, a uh, forgotten one, I believe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's 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 shorter than a lot of them because I think they, they shorten up the intervals in between. I think it was every minute somebody was coming out. Um, right. And they also sort of continue. Uh, they have another interesting finish. Um, instead of doing the tie like they had done the year before when uh, – comes down to Davy Boy and Sean. Sean gets thrown over the top thro- top rope. You uh, think he uh, hits the floor, but he uh, grabs a hold of the top rope and only one foot hits the floor. So Davy Boy's music hits. Everybody's thinking he's the winner, but uh, HBK, like he's done so many times over the years, uh, skims the cat, comes back into the ring, and throws Davy Boy out. And the cameras prove that only one of Sean's feet hit the floor. Wow! And he wins, and he yeah. goes on to face. His former friend, better enemy. Yes. Big Daddy Cool at WrestleMania 11. Yeah. And Bret Hart kind of has his lackluster match at the beginning. It's the I quit match against Bob Backlund to finish that feud. It's a weird one. Um, I mean, I really like their Survivor Series match. um, But what's weird about this one is it's uh, it's an I quit match, but it's more of a submission match. Uh, straight up, but it's Roddy, the same thing. But the guy has to say, "I quit." Yeah, because the last time there was the interference with Owen in the towel, there was exactly the, uh, the mix-up. 
Yeah. So we need a, f- a, a definitive winner. Yeah. And they bring in Roddy Piper uh, as the referee who just gets incredibly grating on the microphone. Worst choice ever. Every, every, every five seconds, it's, uh, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? He just, yeah. he ruins the whole match. Man. He does, yeah. I thought it, I could, like, get into it. If you watch it with the volume down, it's okay. <laughs> Not too but bad. But it takes a lot yeah. away from the intensity of, is the guy going to submit or not? Exactly. And he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. But Brett goes on to win that match. Yes. Finally. Ending that feud. Getting out of that. Yeah. And some, <laughs> some greener pastures ahead. And we have the main event. Well, not the main event because uh, it just wasn't hitting right, was it? Yeah. Your main event that year is uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, which is cool to see him get that payday. But he's going up against Lawrence Taylor of uh, the National Football League. Um, and I mean, to, to Lawrence Taylor's credit, uh, he he, you know, he keeps up with Bam Bam as much as possible. And I mean, Bam Bam, you know, does is obviously the MVP in making that match passable. Um, took a lot of a lot of balls on Vince's part to put that match on last, um, and you know even you know some people might say it still wasn't the best idea, but the two went in there and delivered. So that was that was the last match on the card. But prior to that, at, in your semi main event is where you get the title match, which is uh, your champion Diesel going up against the Royal Rumble winner uh, Shawn Michaels. And I get the feeling it's like he believed in Shawn. And he believed in Diesel, but he sprinkled a lot of stuff around it because we get Pamela Anderson, Jenny McCarthy. Yeah, they went out. in. They went in hard on the celebrities that year. Yeah, and it Salt just, and Pepper. Yeah, it just <laughs> it didn't click. For Jonathan me. Taylor Thomas. Everybody was John there. Leguizamo. It was a who's who of everybody in the nineties. Yeah. Even Diesel. You put him in that group. He had the looks, but he was the worst drawing champion. He was boring matches. They were all kind of the same to me. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think that's part of the reason Vince didn't believe. But he also had doubts in Shawn Michaels because of the drug issues and the disciplinary issues. Um, But he puts him in this spot. And explain what happens in the match. So the two have a pretty good match. Um, it's it's a little it's awkwardly shot because uh, the WrestleMania apron on one side of the camera is uh, was not there. I think it was missing. So it's it you don't get all the angles you usually get. And then what it's best known for is the finish, uh, where uh, Diesel uh, gets Shawn Michaels up for the jackknife powerbomb, his, uh, his signature finish. And uh, Sean proceeds to sell it in the worst possible way and just makes it look like absolute dog shit. Could you kind of describe it a little bit? Um, It's basically the equivalent of putting a man's head between my legs and then grabbing him by the waist and making sure that when I pull him up to flip him over, he lands on his feet. Yeah. Because Shawn Michaels just landed on his feet and then slightly slid to his slid back. on a banana peel and, oh, and just, yeah, it just it made it made the move look terrible. And, uh, and you know, he, I think they've both talked about it and I think Sean's admitted that he was doing that, you know, specifically to hurt diesel's momentum because that's the spot he wanted. I think diesel or Kevin Nash has even said that in shoot interviews oh, yeah, that he yeah. felt that way before. Yeah. Uh, of course, they've patched everything up now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that match doesn't go over too well, and Diesel retains. 
And Shawn Michaels loses. He He's a heel that wins the Rumble, mm-hmm. but he loses the main event match. Yeah. Nice, interesting story for him. At the same time, Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's got his stuff going on in WCW. He's a singles competitor after he turned on Brian Pillman in late 93 after Pillman suffers an injury. Mm-hmm. He claims the U.S., championship he becomes a united states championship competitor and that's right underneath the headline there yeah that's the intercontinental title of wcw exactly for sure yeah and he's feuding with barry windham he's feuding with dustin rhodes who he wins it from in straight two falls at in a two out of three falls match yeah that's who he originally wins it from so they put him over huge here this is dusty Rhodes' son yeah um and from there he's Kind of in and out, uh, up and down the card. He's got a couple injuries that keep him out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at this time, this is uh, Hogan, after taking some time off, after leaving WWF, uh, of course, finds his way to WCW. So he's bringing in uh, he's bringing in a lot of his old WWF uh, friends who have, you have found themselves there's themselves in the outs with the company do the whole steroid uh you know problem and wwf pushing this new generation so you have the likes of brutus beefcake you have the nasty boys you have hacksaw jim duggan uh who eventually works himself into a feud uh with austin yep Yep. and uh, austin loses that feud yeah because it's hogan's friend and yeah Hogan is getting involved with WCW after leaving WWF and Vince McMahon's competition. Uh, WCW has hired a new president, and that man is Eric Bischoff. Yep. And he wants the world, the new world. And he wants to create everything like the WWF or the the AWA where he originally came from. It's superstars, and he knows marketing background, and he's a nice guy to have for tv definitely so around this time um he's looking to pull hogan and all his friends in and he'll listen to hogan and he doesn't see steve austin as a marketable person does he no no he doesn't doesn't see much in him and uh, i think the the injuries sort of played into that uh so steve austin is is uh is hurt he's sitting at home and uh, one day he gets a package in the mail from FedEx and uh, he opens up the package and it ends up being his walking paper. So Eric Bischoff fires Steve Austin, who would go on to be the biggest star in the history of wrestling, uh, and he fires him via FedEx. Very nicely done. Yeah. yeah. Appropriate way. So from there, uh, Steve Austin goes on to join Extreme. Yes. ECW. And he's putting on this character that's over the edge. He's making fun of Hogan. He's making fun of the people backstage. He's breaking kayfabe a lot. Yeah, and I mean that's definitely something ECW was known for at the time. But uh, when you know, obviously, uh, him and Heyman go back to the Dangerous Alliance. Uh, so Heyman brings him in. Steve Austin is still injured at this point. He can't even wrestle, but he just puts him in front of a camera and lets him air his grievances. And this is, you know, some of the first, you know, work shoot promos that, you know, in the same vein as the, uh, as the pipe bomb, you know? Yep. Um, and he was known as superstar Steve. Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Making, Relatable to superstar Billy Graham. Yeah. A, yeah. A, 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 a known 
wrestler who would run his mouth. Yeah, yeah, and also taking shots at Hogan and and all those guys at every turn. So he does perform in a match later. Um, Sandman defeats him and uh, Mikey Whipwreck in a triple threat match, and that's December to Dismember. That's the good one. Yeah, not the uh, not the uh, reincarnation that was hailed as one of the worst pay-per-views of all time. And that's December 1995. But uh, around that time, he's looking to get out. Um, but at the same time, in 1995, we have WCW airing WCW Nitro. And that's yes. a rival... That's a rival show yep. to Monday Night Raw. Going head-to-head against Raw. Um, and this is what kicks off the infamous Monday Night Wars, of course, and uh, really starts to light that fire under Vince because um, it takes them a little while to catch up in the ratings, but they do. Yeah. Vince's TV is lackluster at the time. He has Diesel as the champion, who is pretty boring. And we have Hart in this lackluster bit of feuds of basically where i caught on uh hakushi yeah in your house one yeah not the best feud put great matches but not not really a noteworthy feud and i was interested in hakushi he seemed interesting he had the scripts and everything and he was Mm -hmm. creepy enough yeah um but the match just didn't follow through i i guess because i didn't see the pay-per-view at that point Mm-hmm. Um, I saw more of the superstar stuff in the coverage. It just didn't follow through. Yeah, they didn't really get behind the Hakushi. I mean, part, probably mostly because of his size, and um, which is unfortunate because they they did put on a really good match at that first in your house. Right, and Shawn Michaels is back to winning the Intercontinental Championship, yep. and he's also formed the Click at this point. Mm-hmm. So he's got a big underfollowing. Meanwhile, Bret Hart is stuck in this rut. The whole time of 95. Yeah. Um, Shawn Michaels forms a bond with Diesel, Razor Ramon, Shawn Waltman, the one, two, three kid, mm-hmm. uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Shawn Michaels has formed the click, and in May of 95, he defeats Jeff Jarrett to win his third Intercontinental Championship reign. Y- yep. Strong, strong right there. Um, and then he defends it one more time against Reza Ramon. Yes. In the latter match. Yeah, they do the rematch, the big WrestleMania 10 rematch at SummerSlam that year. And thank God that match was on SummerSlam 95 because there was not much else to be seen on that card. Oh, my God. It was boring. The main event was Diesel versus Mabel. Yep. Excuse me, King Mabel. Yes. So uh, that was that was the state of affairs in WWE and, and and going into late '95. And Bret Hart had entered a feud with Jerry the King Lawler again, once again. Yeah. And he brought on Isaac Yankum, who would later become Kane. Yes. And Sean, uh, Bret feuds with Isaac Yankum and has the match there at SummerSlam. So SummerSlam is just the shits. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. And even the end kind of goes wrong for Shawn Michaels. He tries to grab the belt down, and it doesn't snap. That's right. And he's having a shit fit. Yeah, he starts throwing a tantrum right there at the top of the ladder. It's yeah. <laughs> it eventually it eventually goes down. Yeah, even but, at the beginning of the match, he corrects the angle of which the belt is strapped onto the circle. 
yeah, that's a little, maybe a little bit of karma there that he was, you know, being a little bit of a, a diva about how the belt was placed. And then when he finally gets up there, he's still having issues with it. Yeah. Rather than trying to improvise like he later would in his career when he became a new man and try to yeah. just go for things. And yeah, you can tell Sean is going through his uh, prima donna phase right now. For sure. Because he's looked at as one of the top stars in the company, as well as Bret Hart. Definitely. But Bret Hart's being put on the back the back burner and Sean is trying to get heated up, but he keeps screwing it up. He keeps screwing himself over. Yeah. Maybe not this year. So the click is still going strong. Um, but in October of 95, poor Sean Michaels. Yeah. He, uh, gets himself into a little bit of a, an altercation uh, at a bar. The, so the story goes, he, uh, being being the uh, the heartbreak kid and living the gimmick, uh, he was uh, having some conversation with a female at the bar uh, who ended up being the wife or girlfriend of a Marine. Uh, and he, there were four or five of these Marines at the bar. And so Sean starts talking some shit to them and uh, get, gets his ass beat. Woo, pretty bad. Really bad. Yeah. Enough to take him out of action. Yeah. Enough for them to bring it up on... Uh, on Raw. Yeah, they had to strip, strip him of the title. I still remember watching. I still remember that epic black eye that he had. Yep. Um, and this is Sean's uh, reign where he gets, he basically has to surrender the title. Yes. This becomes a recurring event with him. Yeah, it would, uh, it would, it would, uh, it would happen once again. <laughs> yeah, it would over and over. Yeah. After that event, we have Diesel. And Hart basically getting his title shot again. Finally. Survivor Series. Yep. No disqualification match. And At the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland. Yes, indeed. It's a great match. Yeah. A lot of shenanigans, and I don't remember that from back watching it before but i watched it recently and i was like whoa yeah brett is is doing a lot of heel work in the match this is well before his his eventual heel turn but he is uh pulling out all the stops to you know get every advantage he can against uh diesel and take that height away you can tell he's at the point where he's like they're gonna play dirty i'll play dirty exactly and brett wins and he's on his third title reign so we have three and three yep these guys are doing all right and looking and looking at where we are uh, going into the end of 1995, you have Bret Hart, three-time WWF champion. Shawn Michaels just lost the the Intercontinental title, but he was a three-time Intercontinental champion. Um, and then over, you know, we have Steve Austin, who is I think at this point beginning to negotiate with WWF. Yep. If he hasn't already signed, he's he's well on his way to signing. Apparently, he signed. This is why they, I believe. They have the the working relationship, with yeah. ECW, and he's talking to them in late '95, and he comes over in January 8th, 1996, and that's on Raw, and he's awarded the Million Dollar Championship right off the bat. Yep. Uh, but before that, Royal Rumble 1996, we have Bret Hart feuding with The Undertaker. Yes, and they're both kind of faces at this time. Mm-hmm. And it's a good feud, and everybody kind of wants Undertaker, but they do want Brett as well. Uh, Diesel interferes, and it's a disqualification. Yeah, 
But who wins that year's Royal Rumble? For the second year in a row, you have the uh, the old showstopper, the main event. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> HBK. And it's Sean coming into that uh, title picture again. The boyhood dream is the, they keep teasing it as. They brought him back after he got well from... Um, from that ass beating he got. <laughs> yeah, basically, which uh, apparently he instigated, but he doesn't remember anything. Yeah. Um, we have that that leading up to our next event, WrestleMania 12. Yes. And that's where they start to build the seeds. Um, the The commissioner at the time is Roddy Roddy Piper, and he announces that there will be an Iron Man match for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship, yep. and that will be against Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, and that's in California at WrestleMania 12. Yep. And that's where we're going to kind of end this. Um, I know Steve Austin is coming into his own at this same time. Yeah, he's he's just starting to gain some traction in the company. He, I believe, enters a feud with Savia Vega, which mm-hmm. they are going to carry into Mania. And he doesn't he he doesn't really get the name Stone Cold until after WrestleMania 12. It doesn't really start to sink in till then. No, they no. don't really push it until then. And uh, he's he's more or less Ted DiBiase's guy until yeah. Ted DiBiase leaves. Yeah, yeah, to uh, jump ship to WCW. But yeah, this time he's uh, known as the Ringmaster. Which, as bad of a name as that sounds, it's not as bad as it could have been. Right. Do you remember some of the other ones on that on it that list? Chili McFreeze. Baron Von Ruthless. Uh, I could not. There were a list of names that he had to choose from. And uh, and that's the bottom line, because <laughs> it's Von Ruthless. <laughs> Something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Chili McFreeze 360. <laughs> McFreeze 316 <laughs> yeah something like that <laughs> alright so we're building all these people up this is the prologue episode I just want to bring everybody into it the next episode we're going to get into Wrestlemania 12 in the year of 1996 leading us into Wrestlemania 13 so right now we have the key players Vince McMahon is up against Eric Bischoff because in March of 96, you have a lot of talkings of Kevin Nash and Scott Hall wanting to jump ship. Yep. And they want to go get the money from Turner because Ted Turner is paying big bucks. And he's paying guaranteed dollars, too. He brought over yeah. Macho Man. He brought over a lot of guys. And these guys don't have to work the hard dates anymore. No, not on the road nearly as much. And, uh, again, yeah, the guaranteed contracts were huge. Meanwhile, Raw, Monday Night Raw, we're getting we're getting more into the stories. Um, Vince McMahon is trying to trace that realism as well as ECW. They're getting more into the backstage scenes, and I think this comes with hand in hand with Meltzer getting bigger as well. Definitely, yeah. I mean. Um... Yeah, and I, I I think Dave Meltzer definitely had a lot to do with that and sort of pushing, you know, because he's he's introducing people to the other side of the business, the backstage side, and so that's sort of catering to a more realistic fan outlook. And I think our culture at the time, 
definitely is getting into that more or less for sure. Do you not agree? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think so. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, just look at the, some of the, the films in the, of that era and, and the music. And the year before, we have the O.J. Simpson trial. Yeah, yeah. Which is huge. Yeah. And that'll play into WrestleMania 12 as well. <laughs> yes, it will. But it's something that um, it's it's magnifying certain elements of our society that never were before, but it's broadcast through cable television, which, by the way, is booming. Yeah. At the time, it's becoming more and more prevalent in every household. Before, nobody had TV all the time. Nobody had cell phones. So you didn't have access to all this information or this exposure of entertainment or violence in a way. And that's what we're getting into. The origin of attitude. Everything is culminating right now. And we have, on the other hand... Diesel is pissed off that his title reign has come to an end. He is feuding with The Undertaker. He will take on The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Yep, and the semi-main event there. Yep, and that's a big match, as well as the biggest match of all time, for me, at least. It's Bret Hart against Shawn Michaels in the Iron Man match. 60 Minutes. It's unbelievable. We'll get yeah. to it next episode. We're going to go through WrestleMania 12 through 13. And then from there, we'll follow through. Our hopes is to catch up to the current year of 1997 to where Jimmy and I can go through each month in detail. Basically, kind of the Raws, the inside Meltzer reports. I don't want to focus too much on the Meltzer. I want to focus more on our reaction to it at yeah. the time. Uh, because I was heavily into this period of time. I know I was watching week to week. I don't know about yourself. Every every single Monday. Exactly. So we'll get into that deeply. Um, we'll see you next time on Retromania. Until then, take care. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Retromania, everybody. Uh, if you'd like to write in and share with us your nostalgic moments and your memorable or not so memorable moments of the time that we're going through right now, you can email us at retromania at gmail.com. That's retromania with a W W R E T R O mania at gmail.com. And you can also follow Jimmy. You can talk to him directly jimmy uh you can uh, hit me up on twitter uh i'm uh, at jimmy underscore price uh so yeah if you want to send me a, a dm on there um or go through the uh email for the show those are the best ways to get me exactly and we want to hear from you guys we want to hear your memories we want to hear um what your fond moments of this time was in this timeline and we'll get into it deeper and deeper each week on retromania thank you Hey guys, if you're into uh, professional wrestling and you uh, like to read zines, please check out my buddy Dan Zine uh, called Hot Tag. 
Uh, he takes a look at wrestling fandom from a very personal standpoint uh, and his own journey as a fan as well as that of some of his friends, myself included. I uh, wrote some stuff for the second issue. Um, and he also has a uh, sort of a new, I guess you'd call it a graphic novel in, in some respects, uh, with some art from uh, some great artists uh, using the tweets of Kojima, who is a uh, pro wrestler in New Japan Pro Wrestling, who has an obsession and a taste for bread. Uh, and that's called Cozy's Big Day. That's a lot of fun. So if you want to check any of this out, please go to uh, hottag.bigcartel.com. Thank you. What we do on the side, Jimmy, uh, you want to tell them? Yes, uh, District City Wrestling. And that's where we both work at. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, uh, if you want to go on Twitter, uh, follow us at OfficialDCW. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we've been putting on a string of shows over the last year plus now, uh, mostly uh, located at uh, Chapala Mexican Restaurant. And Blue Beetle Rock Bar. The Blue Beetle Rock Bar, that's right. And you can follow us on Instagram as well, at OfficialDCW, and we post up there all the time, and we got a Facebook, you can find us there, District City Wrestling. Um, we're going to be updating more and more each week, and each each. Uh, each new event that comes arise, we'll let you know uh, on the podcast as well. We Absolutely. hope to have some more guests on here from yeah. DCW. Yeah, and uh, I think we have a, the last couple shows and full shows. Um, definitely the, the, our most recent show is on the uh, Facebook, correct? Yep, and that'll yep. be on YouTube as well. Awesome. Uh, the YouTube channel is District City Wrestling TV. Uh, so check that out. Thanks. Jimmy, do you have any old wrestling shirts? You know, I, when I was a young man, I uh, had a bunch of uh, very terrifically 90s wrestling t-shirts. I had one uh, cane shirt that was long sleeves, and it was particularly uh, just terrible. Uh, but sometimes I wish I could find some of those old ones, you know? So do I. I had the Kevin Nash. He had the backwards Tupac bandana. That was too sweet. But I do know this awesome place. It's called the thesavagestash.com. It's your wheeler and dealer for the best vintage wrestling shirts, merch, and everything in between. The absolute cream of the crop. Yeah. Sounds like quite the uh, the excellence of execution. Where can I find that again? It's thesavagestash.com. And you can find them at the Savage Stash on Instagram and Facebook. Everybody look them up for your vintage clothing. Do it. Dig it. Done! Yeah! Huh!